throughout our sanctuary this morning. We're going to have our kids gather up their things wherever they are seated and make their way down to the front here, and they will head upstairs with our leadership for our worship time for kids. We call it Kids Crew. This is for first through sixth grades. And I want to invite everybody else to open your Bible to Judges, the book of Judges in the Old Testament. We're going to be in Judges chapter 2 this morning. And uh, naturally, your, your Bible will not just fall open to Judges when you open it. It is not a, a place probably where you have uh, spent a lot of time other than if you have done any kind of a particular reading plan through the Bible. Uh, I was thinking about this as I was uh, prepping to preach through this of how many times in my lifetime I've heard a, a sermon series through the book of Judges, and I can't think of any. Uh, maybe a, a, a sermon here or there. There are a few very identifiable stories in the book of Judges. We're mostly all of us probably familiar with the stories of, uh, of Gideon, the stories of, of Samson, but as a whole, maybe we haven't studied through Judges, and we won't actually work our way verse by verse chapter by chapter through the whole of the book of Judges, but we will look at the story of the Judges, and in fact there are 11 different Judges in the book of Judges, and we will uh, look at the story of the Judges and, and break this up over the next several weeks as we work our way through this great book in the Old Testament. I want you to think about something that, at, at least from the outset, will seemingly have nothing to do with judges for me as we get started this morning. I want you to think of the classic cartoon with Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner, right? Uh, and and think, about, think about those great cartoons and all of the things that happened in every one of those cartoons. There was some way in which Wile E. Coyote uh, hurt himself, injured himself because he was chasing after the Roadrunner and he never caught him. And, and the only thing we ever heard from the Roadrunner was just the infamous beep beep, right? And then he would take off and, and the coyote's trap that he had laid for the Roadrunner, invariably whatever it was, would, would do more harm to him than anything else. Uh, whatever product he had from Acme, right, from the Acme Corporation didn't work right. It, it all blew up in his face. And, and again after again, it seemed like his 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 plans were foiled just by his own bad luck. And it was a great cartoon, and it, and, uh, it really never got old, even though it was the same thing each time, because they always came up with some fun, inventive way for the coyote to, you know, fall off a cliff or uh, something of that nature. Have you ever known someone that seemed to just fall into the same pits again and again? Like, have you ever known somebody in life that seemed to just repeat the same patterns over and over again. Doesn't matter what job they have, the, the job always ends the same, right? And it doesn't end well. Doesn't matter what relationship they're in, their relationships always seem to run a familiar course. It doesn't matter what the, the situation is, it always seems like they, they come around again and again to the same old problems, the same old routine again and again. If you've ever known someone like that, then probably at some point you've had this thought to yourself, right? At what point will they ever realize that the problem isn't everyone and everything else, but the problem is really them, right? Every job, every relationship, every situation, every problem, every conflict always comes back to the same thing, and they pin the same things on everybody else, and they never really realize that the problem isn't everybody else. The problem is, is themselves, right? Now, I want you to think about this, all right? Let's, let's get really 
painful and personal for a moment. Has that ever been you? Have you ever, have you ever felt like, no matter where you went, everything, you know, and, and it was always, everybody else has the same problems. Everybody else in life has all, the, it's always the same issues that you run into, no matter what, where you go. And, and have you ever stopped long enough to think that Maybe the problem isn't everybody else, right? Maybe the problem isn't everything else. Maybe the problem is staring at you every time you look in the mirror. Well, what we find in the book of Judges is that Israel falls into this pattern of behavior where they would do essentially the same thing again and again, time after time, and they would end up with the same results. And each time... They, that, they would, that they would follow this, this cycle or this pattern of behavior. It would always end with them distant from God, living in sin and rebellion against God. And it seemed like with each one of these successive cycles that they were a little bit further and a little bit further away from God than when they began all of it. And the, the end result of, of all of that, if you were to turn to the very end of the book of Judges and read the very last verse in Judges chapter 21, it offers sort of a summary of the book of Judges and ultimately what happens. And so Judges 21, 25 says this, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so we know that the, the problem that Israel was facing is that they, they looked at all of the other nations around them that all had a, a king to lead them. They looked at all of the other peoples of the earth who were led by a king, and yet God said to Israel, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your sovereign. I will be your ruler. I will be the one who leads you if you will obey me, if you will follow me as my people. This was the covenant that God had established with Israel as his people, and yet when they looked at the other nations of the earth, they wanted a king, they wanted a leader like God had appointed for all of the other rulers. And so they didn't obey God the way they should. They didn't walk in obedience to him or honor him as their sovereign, as their ruler the way that they should. Instead, they, they constantly fell into these same cycles of behavior over and over again and again. And that's the story that plays itself out in the book of Judges. And so you may say to yourself, well, why then would we study? I mean, if, what, what hope is there? What good news is there in the book of Judges? We'll find, and even this morning we're going to look at several different lessons that we will learn from a study through the book of Judges. But we will find, as we study through this book, a lot of points at which we can connect and identify with what's happening. Because essentially, here is the, the, the grand narrative, if you will, of the story uh, of what's happening in the book of Judges. You find that God says to his people, if you will obey me, if you will walk with me, if you will honor me, then I will lead you and you will experience my blessing and you will be blessed more than all the other peoples of the earth. It's the covenant relationship that existed between Israel and God. They were his chosen people. And yet what happened is that God's chosen people chose instead to look to all of the other things in this world rather than honoring him, rather than following him. They were led astray by everything else that was around them. And now think about that compared to our lives, and, and, and if we were just to set that framework of that story, if we were just to set that down somehow over the, the world that we live in today as a lens of sorts through which we see things, we see the same thing happening still to this day, right? That we have, we as, as a people are called to honor God, and we have to make a choice. Will we walk in obedience and honor Him, or will we instead 
give in to all of the pressures and all of the desires and all the things of this world? Will we let God be our sovereign? Will we let him be our guide? Or instead, will we listen to our own conscience? Or will we seek after what our own minds say is right to us? And so we find in, in, in many ways that the same story that we see happening in the book of Judges happens today with God's people still today. And that's the reason why I want to study this book is because there are lessons we learn about God's pursuit of us. There are lessons we learn uh, about how if we would turn to God and turn our hearts toward him and honor him, not just for uh, a brief period of time, but if we would if we would truly discipline ourselves to seek after him, to center our lives around his teaching and his truth, then we might avoid some of the same pitfalls that we see in scripture. And so it's going to be a great teaching point for us, I believe, as we study through this book. And so what I want us to do this morning is we're going to read all of chapter two, but not all at once. We're going to read it. uh, And as we go through chapter two, we're going to see five different lessons. Now, what you find in Judges chapter one and two is sort of an overview of the entire story that will then be told in better detail throughout the rest of the book. And so particularly in chapters one and two, you have an overview of these events that are happening from the time of Joshua, when when Joshua assumed the leadership over Israel, which essentially was after Moses has died, and Joshua was raised up by God to be the leader over Israel to lead them into the promised land, across the Jordan, into the land that God had promised them. And so you find the story of what happens from the time of Joshua's leadership, where he, where he assumes that mantle of leadership, to this period where God sends the judges. A period of, in, in all of uh, a little more than 400 years uh, when, you, when you study this in history. And so I want us to see this overview with these lessons that we will come back to again and again throughout our study of Judges in chapter 2. So let's begin reading in Judges 2, the first five verses, and then I'll pause to make our first point through the text this morning. It says that, Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you out from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. Now this is, this is a reminder that the angel of the Lord is giving to the, the people of Israel of, the, of their story. He's reminding them of what God has done. Now this would have been a story that they would have known far too well. This would, was a story that they were very familiar with. But he's going to use this reminder to illustrate the point that he wants to make about how they have wandered away. So he begins with essentially, remember all that God has done for you. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. And as soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. Now this word Bochim actually just means weeping or weepers. It's a a symbolic of the fact that they were repenting at this point. They heard this word of the Lord from the angel of the Lord where he was essentially delivering this message from God. 
I have done so much for you, and you have wandered away from me time and again. You have not obeyed the things that I have called you to do. I, as you entered into the promised land, I told you to remove the land of all of its inhabitants and tear down their altars and all of the different things for their gods, and you didn't obey me. And so now, now you will stumble and fall again and again into the traps set by these these pagan gods, these pagan deities, right? That they would be a snare to you is what he says in verse three. And so here's the first point that we see is that partial obedience is disobedience. This is gonna be a lesson that we learn again and again throughout this study through the book of Judges, that when we fail to obey God completely, essentially what we've done is we've disobeyed him. Oftentimes, don't we, don't we, we, we obey God part of the way or we do a, a part of what he's instructed us to do. We, we keep some of word, his, what his word tells us to do. And then when we find that, that we're living in sin and the conviction comes on us or when, when things even blow up in our face, essentially, we say to God, but God, I, I, I was obeying you. I was, I was trying. And we need to be reminded that if we don't obey God completely, then we haven't obeyed him at all. And so as parents, we tell our children this often, right? This is, this is a point that, that we make with our kids, it seems like, nearly every day of their lives, right? If you, if you don't obey us completely, then you haven't obeyed us at all, right? If, if you fail to obey everything that we've instructed you to do, then, then you haven't really obeyed, and that's exactly what happens here. Israel was not faithful to rid the promised land of its inhabitants. They were not faithful to tear down the, the, the Baals, the Ashereth, which are the, these, these pagan gods and these pagan symbols of worship, they failed to follow through with what the Lord had required of them. And so because of their disobedience, God says, then these things will continually be a snare to you. These things will continually cause you to stumble and fall into sin and rebellion. And so partial obedience is disobedience. And really, again, this truth continues to apply to us today because we live in the midst of a culture that ignores God's instruction, right? We live in the midst of, of a day and a time and, and a world where, where people ignore God's instruction. Now, can I say this uh, in, in, in fairness, if, if I can put it that way? I, the truth is, we, people have always rebelled against God's instruction. Oftentimes, we create sort of this nostalgia for the days of old and the way things used to be and, and we look back and we think, oh, if everything could just be like it used to be and, and if we just lived the way that we used to and, and what happens is we convince ourselves that everything used to be better and people used to be better and life was better and the world was better and no doubt we live in a world that's full of sin and wickedness and rebellion against God but the truth is it's always been that way. We've always been called as God's people out of that sin, that disobedience into a right relationship with God. We've always been called out of the chaos and the destruction of our sin into righteousness and obedience. And so if we fail to obey God completely, then we've not obeyed him at all. And this applies to us today just as much as it applied to Israel in this setting the second lesson that we will see, we'll see as we continue to read. Read with me in verse 6. Joshua is still on the scene at this point, still alive. 
So we read, when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. Verse 7 says, and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Temnath Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, meaning the whole generation died off. And then it says, And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And then read verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them. And they bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. And they abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. And whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. And so what we find in, in these subsequent verses, in the story of what happens, is that there are always consequences to our disobedience. That whenever we disobey God, whenever we fail to honor him and to do what he has called us to do, there are always consequences to our disobedience. One of the greatest consequences that Israel faced in this particular story is that there arose an entire generation of people who did not know the Lord and did not follow him. Look in verse 10, right? There arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Now that's a sad statement. That's a really sad statement. That there was this generation who had seen God do incredible things. This generation who saw God work miracles under the leadership of Joshua. This generation who crossed over the Jordan, who entered into the promised land. This generation who had received the promise that the previous generations, that their fathers and forefathers had longed for. A generation of people who had heard the word from the angel of the Lord that called them out of their sin into a right relationship. A generation of people who had seen God do amazing things and yet they failed to impart to the next generation beyond them the disciplines, the, the, the practices that were given to them. They failed to disciple, that's the word that we would use today, right? They failed to disciple those who came behind them so that subsequent generations would continue to, to walk in, in the way that they had walked and honor God. And again, there is so much, there is so much application when we think about that to today, the church and the situation that we find ourselves in today. What we find in the church today is that for too long now, we have been wrapped up in this idea that if we will entertain people, if we will make people feel good, if we will, if we will just try to if we will try to just preach a message that's easy for people to swallow, one, one that doesn't 
You know, we don't want to push too much so that we run people off. And, and we try to do everything we can to make the, the gospel palatable for people. But essentially what we do is we water down the truth to the point that it loses any real, any, any real semblance to the gospel itself, right? I mean, it loses its power because it's no longer really the truth that we're teaching and preaching in churches. It's no longer the truth that we are building our lives on. It's something else. And so as the church, we have to listen and take heed of this warning embedded in the story of the judges that if we are not faithful to honor God, to follow after him, to disciple the generations that come after us, if we are not faithful to pour in and invest in those that come behind us, then there will rise a generation that will no longer know the Lord and will no longer pursue him, no longer walk after his truth. That's why we say around here, that's why we've been emphasizing this so much lately to say that your legacy matters. What you do for God's kingdom matters. Because you and I must take seriously the call placed on us by God that we would invest our lives in things that are eternal in nature, that we would invest our lives in things that will live beyond us. Your legacy matters. So my challenge to you as you think about that would be, who are you investing your life in? What are, you, what are you giving your time, your energy, your money, your resources? What are you giving yourself away to that will have an eternal impact, that will live beyond you? What legacy will you leave behind for others to follow? We find that in the story of Israel, there were consequences to their sin and their disobedience, consequences to their rebellion against God. Similarly in our lives, there are always consequences when we, when we don't obey God, when we don't walk in the way that he's called us to walk. And one of the greatest of which that we see in the story of the judges is that there arose a generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. What a sad story. What a sad story. We have to take seriously the call of God to in, invest in our young people to disciple others, to raise up and equip. That's not the job of the staff. That's the job of the church. We are called as staff to be equippers to the rest of the body. Ephesians 4 lays this out so that the whole body may work together and that we may all grow up into mature manhood is what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4. We have to take this seriously. There are always consequences when we don't. Third point is this, is that you cannot be fully devoted to God with a divided heart. You cannot be fully devoted to God if your heart is divided. And exactly what we see to be the problem with Israel here is that their hearts were divided by these other things. Because they did not obey God completely, because they did not rid the land, the promised land, of its inhabitants, because they didn't drive them out, because they didn't deal fully and finally with them the way that God had instructed them to, because they did not tear down the, the places of worship to these pagan gods because they lived with some of that and, and got comfortable with it in time, what you found is that they too began to worship these false gods. They too, the children of Israel, began to chase after these pursuits of all the other nations and all the other peoples around them. And in time, they took their eyes off God and, and were focused on earthly things and the truth is that we cannot be fully devoted to God if our hearts are divided. If we aren't 
following him, if we aren't completely obeying him. And so there's a connection. If you look at points one through three that I've tried to make here, there's, there's a connection. These are all symptomatic of the same thing, really. And that is when we don't obey God, when we don't walk in obedience, there are consequences, our hearts are divided, and ultimately we, we, we tend to chase after other things. And so this is a story that plays itself out again and again. Again, I've told you already this morning the covenant that God established with Israel was that you will be my people, I will be your God. We find that in the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 30, Exodus chapter 7, Leviticus chapter 26, and other places. Anytime we take our eyes off God, we take our eyes off of his commands and, and do instead what, what our hearts desire, we, we are headed for disaster. And that's exactly what happened in Israel's story, and it's exactly what is destroying so many Christians today that we're trying to serve God with a divided heart, and yet Jesus tells us that we can't, right? He says that you can't have two masters. Either you'll love the one and hate the other, or you'll love the other and hate the one, right? Jesus himself tells us that truth. So partial obedience is disobedience. There are always consequences to our disobedience. You cannot be fully devoted to God with a divided heart. And then fourth, I want us to keep reading and we'll see this next point. Read with me where we left off. We were in Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 16, and we'll just finish reading the rest of... Uh, no, actually, we'll just read a short bit, then we'll come back and finish. Verse 16, we read this. Then the Lord God raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered him, plundered them, rather, yet they did not listen to their judges. Okay, I want to pause there. So... Here's God's solution. Here's God's answer for this problem of Israel's continual sin and rebellion. He gave them a solution. He raised up judges. Now, the role of a judge in the book of Judges was not the way that we think of a judge. We think of a judge as someone who sits in a courtroom and presides over you know, some kind of a, of a criminal case. The role of these judges was not to wear the black robe and hold the gavel and just here, case after case, day after day. The role of these judges instead was to lead the people to do what the law said. And so the, the, the judges were more like, they were more like prophet warriors. You know, they, their, their role was to preach words of prophecy and leadership to the people, calling them back to what God had instructed them to. And at the same time, they were to fight for and contend for God's truth even if it meant leading the people into battle against others so that they would uphold and honor God's command for his covenant people, Israel. And so as leaders, God sent the judges to lead his people, which points us to this truth. The fourth point that I want to make is that God pursues us when we wander away from him. The, the picture of the judges is a picture of God's pursuit of his people. That even though they lived in sin and rebellion against him, even though they wandered away from what God had instructed them to do, God was pursuing them. He was seeking after them, trying to bring these judges into the midst of the people to call them back into a right relationship with God, that they would honor God as their sovereign, as their authority, that they would follow him, that they would live in obedience to him, and not just partial obedience, right, but fully trusting and obeying what God had called them to. And so the, the, the picture of the judges, the story of the judges is a, is a story of God's pursuit of his people, of how he loves them. 
In the same way that we find that God loves us and pursues us when we wander away from him. I read in John chapter 10 at the beginning of our service today where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep, Jesus teaches. Jesus gave himself up for us. He laid down his life for us. He's the good shepherd who leads us. He pursues us when we wander away. In Luke chapter 15, there's the parable of the lost sheep where Jesus teaches that which of you, if he was a shepherd would not, and had a herd of 100, would not leave the 99 to pursue the one who had wandered away? It's what a good shepherd does, right? He lovingly pursues the sheep that wander away, and then he restores them. He places them on his shoulders. He carries them back. That's the picture of the shepherd loving us, pursuing us, coming after us in our sin and our rebellion, and that's exactly what God did with the judges. He sent the judges to his people to call them back, to pursue them in the midst of their sin. Because the truth is that our unfaithfulness is no match for God's faithfulness. Our sin is no match for God's love and his pursuit of us. We can sin again and again, and God will lovingly pursue us again and again, time after time, because he wants us to be in a right relationship, because he's willing to lay down even ultimately his life for us so that we would be in a right relationship with him. And so in that way, the judges not only show us God's love for us, but really they they become sort of a precursor pointing the way to Jesus. That in the same way that the judges tried to lead the people back into a right relationship with God, though they were not able to do that perfectly, God lovingly pursues us in Jesus and through him he's able to perfectly restore us into a right relationship through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And so he's a a precursor, the judges are a precursor of sorts to Christ. And then finally we see this last point, that you cannot live off of someone else's faith. Let's continue to read. I want to back up to the beginning of verse 17 and just finish out. Yet they did not listen to their judges, we read, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them, bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, because this people has transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. So the picture that we see here is that God sends the judges to lovingly pursue and call his people back, yet they they never really turn from their sin and their stubborn ways. For a season, they might have repented. For a season, they might have done better but ultimately, they never really turned away from their, their stubbornness and their sin. And so what they would find is that after each of the judges passed away, they would fall back into the same sins and, and each time would be a little bit further away, right? A little bit worse off than their fathers, a little bit worse than those who had gone before them. 
And God said as punishment for this against his people that he would not rid their enemies from them, but allow the enemies to remain in the land so that the people would have to deal with. And so when you read through the Old Testament stories and you see names like the Edomites, the Midianites, the, uh, you know, and so on and so forth, the Hittites, the Parasites, the you know, Jebusites, and you read all these other, and you think, who are these people? They were the original inhabitants of the land of Canaan. They were the people that God had called Israel to drive out of this land that he had promised to them. And because they didn't faithfully obey him, because they didn't completely obey him, they ultimately fell into this pattern of sin again and again. And the lesson that we learned through this story is this, is that you cannot live off of someone else's faith. The problem was that the people never really turned their own hearts to God. They just followed the way of the judges for a season. They trusted in and listened to the leadership of the judges for a, for a season, for a period of time, but because they never really because they never really took ownership of those truths for themselves, because they never really humbled their own hearts before God and turned from their stubborn and their sinful ways, when the judges passed on, so too did the obedience of the people, right? The truth for us is this. You and I cannot live off of the faith of someone else. No matter how much they love the Lord, no matter how much they pray for you, you will never be able to live off the faith of a spouse, of a parent, of a grandparent, of a friend. Until you and I arrive at the point where we would, by faith, we would trust and follow in obedience, then we will never experience God's power at work in our life the way that he wants us to know it. And I don't mean to say that we can't catch glimpses of it. There might be moments, there might even be seasons where we see God doing amazing things, but anything that we see is not intended to be the ultimate consummation of God's blessing and his love. It's intended to be God's grace to draw us into that right relationship with him. Because you and I cannot live off of someone else's faith. And Similarly, I would add this. We can't live off of what God has done for us simply in the past. We can't look backward in time and say, well, God did this. God saved me back when. God did this in my life. He did. And and if everything in your story of faith is the story of something that happened in your past, then you aren't walking in obedience with God today. And you're you're living off of less than what God has for you. you. You can't live off of those past stories, those past encounters. God wants to give you something fresh and new every day of your life, but it requires that you would walk with him in obedience and that you would not hold on to those stubborn ways of sin and rebellion that we tend to hold on to. So here are the five lessons. We'll see these played out again and again in our study of Judges, that partial obedience is disobedient. That there, is, there are always consequences to our disobedience. That you cannot be fully devoted to God with a divided heart. Still, God lovingly pursues us when we wander away from him. And ultimately, you and I cannot live off of someone else's faith. We must trust God on our own, for ourselves. We have to surrender ourselves to him and commit our lives to him rather than just trying to live off of the faith of someone else. And so I wonder today, which of these, which of these truths speaks the most to your life? Do you find that 
you've been trying to serve God with a divided heart, that you've tried to honor him, but you've not really fully committed yourself? Do you find that you've been living in partial obedience rather than complete obedience to God's voice and his instruction, that you've, you, you've done some of what he's called you to, but you haven't really surrendered everything and, and obeyed him fully? Do you find that you have been trying to live sort of vicariously off of the faith of someone else, that, that someone else brings you to church all of the time, someone else uh, reads stories of the Bible to you, someone else prays for you, someone else is trying to lead you, and they're doing everything they can to try to love you and lead you, but ultimately you've never really taken ownership of that faith. Where do you find yourself in these lessons today? Wherever you are, however you see yourself in this story, can I tell you this? That today, if you would turn your heart toward God, if you would turn your heart toward Him, and I don't mean that you have to turn to God, clean up everything in your life, bring it all to him and say, here it is, God, I've fixed it all. That's, that's not the way that it works, you understand. God doesn't tell us to, to fix everything in our lives and that he simply says, if you will honor me, if you will obey me, if we will turn our hearts to him, we will live in obedience to him, then he will do the work. And we see that beautifully in the picture even of God's pursuit of Israel, that God is already pursuing you. The fact that you're here today and you're hearing this message and you're hearing me say these words today is a sign that God loves you and he's pursuing you and he wants you to experience his grace washing over you. Would you be willing today to surrender your heart and your life to him? Just a moment, we're gonna have a time of response and in that time of response this morning, our altar will be open. And if you sense that there's an area of your life that you're needing to bring into this right relationship with God, maybe you've been trying to serve him with a divided heart. Maybe you haven't fully obeyed him. Maybe you think, I've been living off of someone else's faith, and I've never really truly surrendered myself to him today. Would you respond during this time of obedience by coming forward and surrendering your life? And, and maybe what you need is to come and kneel here at the altar and pray, God, I want to serve you with all of my heart, not just part of it. God, help me to turn, I want to turn away from this sin. I want to turn away from all these things that have led me astray. Fix my eyes on you. Pursue you in obedience to your will and your call in my life. Maybe what you need today is to surrender your life to him. And so you could come and take one of our staff by the hand and just say, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. We would love nothing more than to walk you through a simple prayer of faith, surrendering your life to him yielding control of your life, making him Lord and Savior of all that you are so that you can walk in obedience to him. However God is leading you today, would you be willing to turn aside from the, the divided heart that has kept you from experiencing all that he has for you so that you might, you might receive his, his blessing and, and, and the fulfillment of all that he has for you today? And so I want to ask if you would to bow your head and close your eyes. And I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And after I finish leading us in this word of prayer in just a moment, the music will begin. We will we, we essentially launch right into this time of response. And as we do that, if God is leading you to respond to him today, I want to invite you to come during this time. Lord God, I thank you that you lovingly pursue us. Lord, we see in the story of the Bible, how you pursue your people 
with love and grace, how you chase after them even in the midst of their sin and their rebellion against you. And so God, today, I pray that that truth, that gospel truth would connect with every heart in this room. That we would surrender our lives to you, that we would no longer hold on to the sinful ways that keep our hearts divided, but rather, God, that we would that we would yield our, ourselves to you. Lord, if there's anyone here today that you're doing work in their heart right now, you're leading them into this right relationship, pursuing them, calling them back, God, I pray that they would turn back to you. And Lord, if there's anyone here who is feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that there's never been that moment where they've surrendered heart and soul to you, God, I pray that you would just literally lift them up out of their seat and lead them forward, that they might surrender their life to you today, God. We want to experience all that you have for us. We don't want to be held back by the, the things of this world that divide our hearts. So trusting fully in you and your grace, Lord, we, we commit our lives to you now. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Good Shepherd, we pray. Amen.